the RSVP Trust, changing lives around the world. Hello, my name is Don Egan. Welcome to today's podcast. Um, before we go to the message today, just to say that it's been really good to get some feedback uh, so that we know that we're connecting with this podcast. It was good to have coffee over in Bury St Edmunds with Paul and Sarah Bonnet the other day. That was good to see you guys. Um, good to hear from the other side of the world from my friend Pam, uh, Pamela over in Oz, who you seem to be kind of recruiting people to listen to the podcast and connect to the website and uh, that's really great and if you're back in Sheffield Pam uh, give us an email and uh, I'm sure Martin and I come and have lunch with you again in that Chinese that was good and uh, also really good to hear from my friend Peter Roberts who I've not seen for absolutely ages Peter Roberts and I were at college together he's now uh, living in Belfast and connected through the podcast and the blog so that was good and a special thanks this week to Cy Ross from Sheffield, my good friend, who's been out to Rwanda with me. Uh, thanks, Cy, for the review on iTunes. That's always helpful. But also thank you for the um, comments on the sound quality. And uh, we've had a look at that. So this is my first attempt to improve the sound quality, as you suggested. So you can give me some feedback on that. Also, thanks to those who are uh, connected with us on Facebook, on the podcast group on Facebook, and also who sort of connected with us as friends. So it's good to uh, see your messages on Facebook there and those from uh, Canada and Denmark and people who are ordering books on the RSVP Trust website. Do visit the website, by the way. Lots of stuff on there about what we're involved in and what God's doing. That's www.rsvp trust.co.uk now we're going to go over to a message uh, i gave over the easter weekend i was standing in for my great friend andy economides who wasn't able to make this mission and so with a sort of two days notice i stood in for him met some great people at thundersley congregational church down there in basildon in essex and uh uh, we've got most of the message here but I was jumping about a bit and slightly disconnecting the microphone towards the end of it but uh, I'll come back on uh, at the end and tell you some of the great things that God did at that meeting so let's go over to the message right now Welcome. It's good to uh, it's good to be with you. I've had many moments in my life when I thought, "What am I doing here?" And this is probably another one of those. Um, but that's all right. I was in Belfast on Thursday when I got a call from Andy. He was going to speak here tonight, and uh, I know that Andy wouldn't have phoned me unless uh, he was in serious difficulty. Uh, and I wasn't doing anything else tonight, so. <laughs> I didn't have a reason not to come, so it's good. And then when he told me what he wanted me to do and what you've been doing this weekend, and uh, you know, I'm always ready to share uh, the fact that Jesus is alive and how he transformed lives because uh, he transformed my life. Uh, the ministry I founded in 98, or 1994 rather, uh, is called RSVP uh, because God's invited us to a party that's out of this world. 
Uh, we've all got an invitation, but we have to RSVP that invitation. God's waiting to hear whether you want to respond to his invitation or not. As I said, I'm here with my wife, Hazel. We've been married um, uh, uh, close to 30 years. I hesitate, because Hazel's like an encyclopedia. She could probably tell you the date we first went to the cinema, the date we first kissed, and the date we first had a chip butty or something up in Manchester, which is where we grew up. And, uh, yeah, we'd been married 30 years, and I remember once overhearing Hazel telling a, a neighbour, I was kind of working in the dining room doing some preparation for a talk, and she had a friend round for coffee, and I'm sure as I went to the kitchen, I overheard Hazel telling her friend that I was a model husband. And it kind of distracted me a bit, because, you know, for men, these things really matter. And so I'm making my coffee and, and thinking, my wife is telling her friend that I'm a model husband. And I kind of made the coffee, and I'm thinking about that. And I went back into the dining room where I was working, and I'm kind of looking at my books. I'm thinking, my wife has just told a friend that I'm a model husband. That's fantastic. And I went back and tried to do the study again. And I thought, my wife <laughs> has just told our friend that I'm a model husband. I got so kind of into this that I pulled the dictionary off the shelf and I, I looked up the word model. And, uh, and it said small plastic imitation of the real thing. <laughs> That is probably what she meant. <laughs> but as I speak to people today, yeah, you know, I ask the question, you know, what sort of human being are you? Are you a model human being? Or are you a small plastic imitation of what you were created to be? And when I was a young man, about 17, I asked a profound question. I asked, why are we here on this planet? And you know when you're in a big town or a city, and uh, I, used to, I grew up in Manchester, and there's loads of religious people giving out you know, leaflets on the street or selling books. So I'd spent all my life avoiding them, but during this period I actually crossed the road to talk to them. So the uh, first one was kind of had a shaved head and wore an orange robe, and uh, he was selling a book about vegetarianism. And uh, I said, well, I'm really interested. The name that keeps coming up in my search is Jesus. There's something about this guy that keeps coming up when I'm searching for the meaning of life. So he said, well, Jesus was a vegetarian. So that was bad news to me because I didn't eat vegetables. I mean, I just I had a really bad diet. And I didn't eat greens. I didn't eat any vegetables or salad. So that depressed me a little bit. And obviously, he couldn't sell me his book. And then uh, I talked to various people, and then I remember one day I was busy, and a Jehovah's Witness came to the door, and uh, she began quoting the Bible at me, and I said very authoritatively, oh, you can't believe that, it's full of contradictions. And so she gave me her Bible and said, show me one. Uh, slight snag with my argument was I'd never read the Bible, <laughs> apart from the first four chapters of Genesis, uh, because every time I got to Genesis 5, everyone started begatting. And uh, I didn't know what begatting was. So I kind of, so-and-so begat so-and-so. And, -so, and I, I, I just gave up because I didn't know what begatting was. I was only a little boy. So, And then uh, I began thinking, you know, well, maybe it was the church. But then 
I remembered when I went to church, when I was in the Cubs, we had to go on the first Sunday in the month, and I stood in this big Church of England church, and we had to be very quiet, and then on the way out, there was a big, like a big plaque on the wall with hundreds of names on, and it said that these were the people who died in the services. <laughs> and uh, I wasn't surprised because it, it was so boring. But I'm looking at this and wondered if it was the morning service or the evening service that they died in. So I kind of had, had written off the church. But then um, eventually when I was 17, uh, a friend of mine at the end of that year told me that someone got healed in his church. So I'm thinking about all these names of people who died in the services. And I think, well, this must be an interesting church. And... Uh, he said an old lady got healed of Parkinson's disease. Uh, the vicar said that just Jesus laid hands on the sick uh, and taught the disciples to do the same. So there's a lady called Hilda who got Parkinson's disease and the vicar said they should lay hands on her and by Tuesday when she went to see a specialist she didn't have Parkinson's disease. And I thought, that sounds interesting, that doesn't sound like this other church. And I remember going there and I'd been on a long journey and read a lot of books and I could see that people were worshipping. There was something different going on in this building. And I just said a prayer in that service. I just said, God, if you're real, Jesus, if you're real, come into my life. And I immediately felt like I was very dirty on the inside. And then I felt like I stood in under a hot shower and be washed clean on the inside. And it was the most amazing experience. And I thought, no wonder they'd come every week if this, <laughs> this experience happens. Well, of course, that doesn't happen every week. That's when God impacts us, when we ask him in. And all those years of 70 years, really, of wasted time, all that God wanted was for me to say, Jesus, if you're there, come into my life. And though I'd done many things wrong, and though I had many sins, both things I had done wrong, and things I should have done and had failed to do. Yet God just came unconditionally and washed me. All he was waiting for was an invitation. And really, I was responding to his invitation. And uh, over the years, I'm 50 now. I know you can't believe that. I'm also a grandfather. I know, I know. It's, it's, it's impossible to believe, but it's true. And uh, over the years, I've continued to follow that Jesus that I met that day and he has proved himself time and time again and uh, this is one of the things I read some years ago that really made an impact on me and uh, I think it really gives you a flavour of how Jesus is different to every other human being that ever lived and we don't know who wrote this but it's just a short observation that this person made and it's speaking about Jesus and it says he was born in an obscure village the child of a peasant woman he grew up in another obscure village where he worked in a carpenter's shop until he was 30. He never wrote a book. He never held office. He never had a family or owned a house. He never went to college. He never visited a big city. He never traveled more than 200 miles from where he was born. He did none of those things usually associated with greatness. He had no credentials but himself. 
He was only 33 when the tide of public opinion turned against him. His friends ran away. One of them denied him. He was turned over to his enemies and went through the mockery of a trial. And he was nailed to a cross between two thieves. And while dying, his executioners gambled for his clothing. And when he was dead, he was laid in a borrowed grave through the pity of a friend. And 19 centuries have come and gone, and today he's the central figure of the human race and the leader of mankind's progress. All the armies that have ever marched, all the navies that have ever sailed, and all the parliaments that have ever sat, and all the kings that ever reigned, put together, have not affected life on earth of mankind as powerfully as that one solitary life. And that's kind of the Jesus I've been following. And Jesus is real. And on the third day, he did rise from the dead. And in this world, uh, bad things happen to good people. In 1987, both my parents died and our two-year-old son also died. And this is the truth of Jesus, that he said, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And that was the promise I cried out for during that period of grief in 1987. And that word is true. And I remember a day when I was praying. In fact, I'll tell you something that isn't really funny, but it's funny to me, in that I remember crying when our son died. He, he was the third one to die. My mum died, then my dad, then our son. And uh, I was at Bible college at the time. And I remember kneeling down and crying and saying the most stupid thing I've ever said in my life. But of course I was in grief. And I was crying and I said, God, do you know what it's like for your son to die? And I was just about to launch into the next sentence and I thought, what a stupid question. He does know exactly what it's like for his son to die. But as Jesus was there on the cross, he had the power to stop his son from dying, whereas I couldn't stop my son from dying. But God did not stop Jesus dying because he wanted to save you and to save me. And he raised him up and affirmed him on the last day, uh, on the third day, he raised him up from the dead. God wants to come in to your life. He, he is constantly coming into the world to intervene. I remember going to Rwanda. We have a work in Rwanda. We built a school at an orphanage and we sponsor about 300 children's education and we do 15,000 meals for street kids every year. And uh, this was after our son died, and that's the reason I got asked to go to Rwanda. And I remember going to a genocide site uh, in uh, 1997 under armed guard because, I mean, the killing hadn't stopped. And I went to a church school, and in every room there were just dead bodies on the floor. And then that was Saturday, and the next day I was speaking to about 1,200 people. And I, I was just a guy, I'm just a guy from Manchester. I used to drive a minibus taking little kids to the playgroup. You know, I'm just Don Egan. I'm just a guy. And I thought, what am I going to say to these people who've experienced something I cannot imagine? I mean, my family dying, you know, they didn't really... You can't compare that to what happened in Rwanda. 
And I remember standing in that room of dead bodies, and I remember hearing almost audibly Jesus say, as I asked in my heart, what's the message to this nation? I almost audibly heard Jesus say, I am the resurrection and the life. However bad things get, Jesus can overcome. And the genocide was, isn't and wasn't the last word on Rwanda. And there's great life there now. I remember that year I went, they were leading worship, but everyone was depressed. But I tell you, it's hard to imagine another nation where there's such life and the Christians are coming alive and the killers and the, the, you know, the survivors are being reconciled and they're being reconciled because of Jesus. Because they know that Jesus has told them they've got to forgive one another. And I met a lady whose whole family had been wiped out and they've just released the man who killed her family. And, I, I, and he's gone back to live in her village. And I was asking her, how does, that, how does that make you feel? And she says, I feel afraid. Uh, I said, didn't you want him to be executed? And she says, no, Rwanda's a very small country. We who were killed, the tribe that were killed, try and kill the killers, there'll be nobody left. What dignity and what respect. And then you speak to her and discover this relationship with Jesus. And she's prayed for things uh, in a way and seen miracles in a way that perhaps most of us never have. God is alive. This is a £10 note, a genuine one. I printed it. I mean, I got it out of the bank this morning. You know, but what... It's, it's worth £10, but what if I, I tear it a bit there? What if I crush it? And what if I, you know, put some dirt on it? It's still worth... 10 pounds, and however dirty you may feel, and however crushed you may feel, and however torn you may feel, you still have your original value in Christ, in God's sight. And that's why he sent Jesus Christ to come and rescue you. And he called out again and again. And if you read the Gospels, and if you've Never read the Gospels. Right through, just read them. You know when that Jehovah's Witness came to my house and kind of thwarted my argument, I thought, I'm going to read that flipping Bible and I'll, I'll find the contradictions and then when she comes back, I'll, when she gives me a Bible, I'll be able to show her. So I bought a New Testament. I used to work in a factory in those days and I sat in my bench during the lunch hour and I read right through the J.B. Phillips at New Testament in plain English. And uh, I didn't notice any contradictions. But I discovered this Jesus. I remember thinking, even if, as one of my friends says, this is a big fairy story, I need to get to the bottom of who wrote the fairy story because it's incredible. But it's not a fairy story. It's true because I later met Jesus Christ. And he spent three years going around Jerusalem to the people of Israel, and he reached out through his stories and his parables and his miracles, trying to connect the God, our creator, with the created people. And he talked about God, that he's the bread of life, so that bakers can understand. He talked about God being the water of life, so that plumbers can understand. He said that God's the light of the world, so the electricians can understand. 
He said that he's the cornerstone so that architects could understand. He said he's the hidden, hidden treasure so that bankers could understand. He said he's the life so that biologists can understand. He said he's a door so that carpenters could understand. He said he's a great physician so that doctors could understand. He said he's a good teacher so that educators could understand. He said he's the lily of the valley so that florists could understand. He said he's the rock of ages so that geologists could understand. He said he's the true vine so that horticulturists could understand. He said he's the righteous one so that judges could understand. He said he was the pearl of great price so that jewelers could understand. He said he was the wisdom of God so that philosophers could understand. He said he was the word so that actors could understand. He said he was the good shepherd so that farmers could understand. He said he was the alpha and the omega so that scientists could understand. He said he was the way so that traffic wardens could understand. <laughs> he said he was the truth so that politicians could understand. <laughs> he is the way, the truth, and the life. And all that time he was trying to connect people to the living God. I was out in Rwanda and... Uh, because of what happened to Hilda at our church the first day I went to church, that lady who got healed of Parkinson's disease, and the fact that I just read the four Gospels right through, it seemed obvious to me that healing and the good news of Christ were one and the same thing, that those things are interconnected, and that wherever ever Jesus went, he did three things. He kind of like had a PhD. He preached to the poor, he healed the sick, and he drove out the devil. PhD. And he was like Dr. Jesus and went around doing that. All the time when I came into ministry, I was praying for the sick. And not a lot happened. We got some headaches healed. And then I was out in Rwanda in 97, that, that time, the first time I went. And uh, I said to the pastor, remember these are really wounded people. And I said to the pastor, can I pray for the sick? And he said, don't pray for the sick. So I said, why, why wouldn't you pray for the sick? He said, if you offer prayer for the sick, they'll all come. And we'll be here a long time. So I said, well, I've got no more appointments today. So it's okay, you can go home. We'll just pray. And he was right. Everybody came. And we began, began praying. And then this old lady began looking straight at me and shouting in her own language, Imani Shimwe, Imani Shimwe. And I thought she was accusing me of something because she was pointing at me. And... Uh, I said to the interpreter, or the interrupter as I call him, because uh, he interrupts you every sentence, I said, what's she saying? And he says, she's saying that she's been blind uh, for 40 years. And uh, she's been at the meetings for five days. She heard you speaking, but she's saying she didn't know you are a white man, but she can now see your white face. And that she's telling her friends that she can see them. And then another young lady stood up who'd been blind, and she came to the microphone and said that she could now see. And then a lady came up be behind me on the platform and began touching her toes like this. I mean, it was just, it was going wild. And I thought, what's this? Are we doing, like, Christian aerobics? And she was saying, no, she's had these agonizing pains in her abdomen and could barely walk, and she's just demonstrating that the pain is gone and she can touch her toes. Thanks for listening to the message today. We're out of time. But just to let you know that at that meeting of five people asked Jesus to come into their heart. They became Christians and received him into their life. And um, also we had some people healed, including a doctor who was 
healed of arthritis in his knees. He wasn't able to squat down. After we prayed, I asked people to try something they couldn't do before. And he managed to squat down several times and uh, said he was healed. And uh, we had some interesting connections as God gave me words of knowledge of people's uh, illnesses as I prayed with them. So just waiting for stories and uh, uh, testimonies about how... uh, about what God did in their life. Do keep in touch with us. Do let us know what you think of the podcast, how you think it could be improved, anything you'd like uh, covered in the topics and stuff. Also have a look at our main website, www.rsvptrust.co.uk. And also uh, I was doing a <clears throat> daily word on my blog, which is donegandaily.co.uk. Uh, I'm not actually doing that every day just because I (laughs) I just couldn't get the time to do that so I'm trying to do it at least once a week and put something on there but there's lots of articles on there and connections out to other good stuff good resources for believers so thanks for listening today join us next time on the podcast you can find us in iTunes just type Don Egan uh, and do a search in the music store to find it in iTunes or go from the link from the blog at donegandaily.co.uk. So thanks for listening today and join us again next time on the podcast. The RSVP Trust, changing lives around the world.